The message you're about to hear has been made possible by the continued financial support of the friends and partners of Faith Hill. To find out more about how to become a partner, be sure to visit faithhill.tv. We're still talking about uh, living victoriously through faith. Amen? Amen. Say that after me. Living victorious victorious. through faith. faith. And uh, today we're going to read our foundational scripture, which is 1 John 5, verse 4. 1 John 5, verse 4. It says in the King James Bible, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Yeah. So he says uh, in 1 John 5 verse 4 in the original uh, 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 um, uh, King James, uh, whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Now we're going to read the same verse in the Message Bible. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to read the same uh, verse in the Message Bible, and it says every. Someone say every. every. Notice it didn't say some. It says every. It says every God-begotten person conquers the world's ways. The conquering power that brings the world to its knees is what? Our faith. Amen? Amen. While the world sways us out to do three things, to steal, to kill, and to destroy, we have a spirit of faith that overcomes the world. We cannot play victim. Amen? We can begin to invoke this spirit. We can begin to activate this faith. We discovered that everyone has the faith of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Romans 12, uh, verse 3, uh, 2 Peter 2, verse 1. It says that we have obtained like precious faith as with the disciples. So faith is not the problem. All we need to do is to activate it and start walking in it. Amen? And uh, we discovered that there were a few ingredients that would help us with the activation process. And the first one was, you have to understand the supremacy of God's word. And the second thing is, you have to understand that it is God's love that makes faith work. And the third thing is, you have to understand that you access this, uh, you access the grace of God through faith. And the fourth thing you need to recognize is your righteousness in Christ. That it is not based on your works or what you do for him, but it is based on what Jesus did on the cross. Amen. And the fifth one is you have to learn how to talk. You have to learn how to talk. Amen. So today we are looking at the second ingredient, which is it is God's love that makes your faith work. It's interesting that, you know, when I was talking to this couple and, uh, you know, asked them what got them to grab a hold of the promise uh, that they shall have a child, even after 14 years, uh, and I know that we haven't taught about healing uh, in Durban, uh, all we did was talk about the goodness of God. And they said it changed something in their minds. They, that, that realization that God is a good, good father helped them begin to appropriate that which the good, good father has already gotten a hold of them. Amen? So what helped them possess their possessions was realizing the love of God and that God is a good, good father. Let's read now in Galatians 
chapter number 5, verse 6. Galatians chapter number 5, verse 6. <clears throat> Thank you, Jesus. It says, for in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision availeth anything, but faith which works by love. Did you see that? Did you see that? It says, in Jesus Christ, once you're in the dispensation of grace, it's not about what you do on the outside. It's not about, you know, the, 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 the circumcision or the uncircumcision. It's about a faith which works by love. Say that after me, faith works by love. You know, some of you uh, drive uh, vehicles and, you know, for some, you drive a vehicle that works by petrol. And for some, you drive a vehicle that works by diesel. And uh, that vehicle would not work so well if you tried water. Amen? (laughs) According to the manufacturer specifications, uh, you have to use for some diesel and for some petrol. Now, according to the manufacturer's manual for faith uh, in Galatians 5 verse 6, uh, faith does not work very well uh, without any love in your tank. Amen? Amen. I said amen. Amen. And, and, And before you think I'm putting pressure on you, it's not talking about you loving your neighbor. That's a great thing to do. And Jesus gave it to us as a commandment. But here, it says, but faith which works by agape. That word love there is agape. There are different uh, kinds of words uh, for love. And sometimes the English language kind of minimizes uh, the meaning of these uh, uh, words. You know, because you can say, I love ice cream. Uh, I love my dog. Uh, I love my wife. And I love Jesus. Amen. And these are all different (laughs) kinds of love. Different uh, Greek words for the word love. There is what is called eros in the Greek, which is a love relationship between a husband and a wife. There is uh, what is called storge, which is a a, a relationship uh, between siblings and family members. You know, a love relationship between siblings and family members. There is what is called philia. You know, where we get Philadelphia, the city of uh, brotherly love, which is uh, brotherly love amongst brothers. Amen? But this love that he's talking about in Galatians 5 verse 6 is agape. And the only one who possesses true agape, undiluted, is God. Because the word agape means unconditional love. In other words, God's love for you is not based on conditions. God's love for you is not based on T's and C's. It's based on a covenant relationship and not a contract relationship. Amen? Whenever people enter into a contract, it is because both of them uh, mistrust each other. There's no other reason for a contract. It is because they don't trust you and you don't trust them. So you get them to sign something that is binding. But reckless love, what we were singing, is not a contract. It is a covenant. In a covenant relationship, you enter in to give up your rights because you are so sold out to loving the other person. And that's what this scripture is talking about. When we catch a revelation of how sold out God is for us, our faith begins to work. Amen? I said amen. So the hindrance for your faith. In fact, when you see yourself struggling to believe God, uh, your love meter may be going on empty. 
your revelation of how much God loves you, your revelation of what you mean to God may be going towards empty. When you start feeling your love tank, your faith will begin to work again. And for the most part in the church, a lot of people have been pursuing principles without an understanding of love. And when you pursue principles without understanding love, principles will throw you into a realm of legalism where you start thinking you earn your own things from the kingdom. Amen? Principles are great. Faith is a response, but it is all based in an environment of love. Amen? Amen. I said amen. amen. Let us go now to Ephesians Chapter number 3. We're going to read from verse 14 to 19. Ephesians chapter number 3, verse 14 to 19. So you've got to be careful uh, what you let in uh, through your ear gates. You've got to be careful what you let in uh, through uh, your eye gates. You've got to be careful what you let into your heart. If it doesn't fill up your love tank, it may be a direct attack on your faith. Amen? I said, Amen. Amen. You know, this teaching that says uh, uh, sometimes God takes you into the wilderness to train you so He can use you. Man, this teaching is straight out of hell. Yeah, Yeah, I said it. Because it's trying to show you uh, uh, a God who uses carnal methods, a God who uses, watch this, evil methods to train his children, and God does not use evil methods to train his children. I'm going to read a scripture later on where God says, if your child asks you for bread, how many of you will give him a stone? And then he turns it around and he says, what makes you think that I'm worse than you? And yet, this is the prevalent doctrine that we have in the church. You know, when I was in uh, uh, Colorado, when I was in Colorado, man, she said amen. She, she, this is good preaching. When I was in Colorado, I got an opportunity to go out to eat with uh, uh, Lawson Purdue, and uh, we, we were sitting just having dinner and just talking, and then one of the uh, 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 Ashley's kids who were with, he just come from a funeral, and he said, you know, their teenager had just died, and so we were having a, you know, dinner and, you know, just having a good time and, and talking, and he said, you know, you won't believe what the pastor said, you know, just coming from a funeral uh, of a teenager. He said to Lawson, you know, you won't believe Pastor Lawson what the pastor said. And he said, uh, what did the pastor say? He said, uh, this is God who plucked this flower from the earth because he wanted him more in heaven than we need him in the earth. Man, I've never seen a man get so angry so fast. He got real angry very fast. I thought, you know, I was looking at a different man. I mean, he started banging that table and he said, this is not true. This is from the pit of hell. I mean, I got a fright. He was that angry. He said, this is not true. This is from the pit of hell. God did not kill this child. And yet, that's the common prevalent uh, message that you hear all over from gospel preachers. And some of them very famous. And here's what it does. It cripples your faith. It's a direct attack on your faith. Because how many of you would trust a God that's trying to get your child because he needs them in heaven? Prematurely. It actually pushes you away from God. And this is why we are passionate about talking about this. This is why we are passionate about making this 
the line in the sand that when you cross over, we cannot even let you come out here and minister. Because guess what? It's going to take us two, three years to reverse what you have been teaching. God is a good, good father. God is a good God. And in him, there is no darkness at all. In fact, the Bible says every good and every perfect gift comes from above, from the father of lights. He had to make mention of that. That this is a God who is a father of lights. And in him there is no shadow of turning. In other words, God is not schizophrenic. He's not sometimes good and sometimes bad. God is 100% good. So when the bad stuff starts to happen in your life, it's not God. It's the enemy that's stirring up the muddy waters. It's the enemy that's causing confusion. And if you want to stand strong in your faith, you have to have this as a conviction, as a personal revelation that this is not God, that God is good and he is good all the time. And I'm not, I may learn something out of this, but this is not God's way of teaching me. God teaches me through his word. Amen? Amen. I said amen. Amen. Where did I tell you to go? Ephesians chapter number 3. We're going to read from verse 14. This is the Apostle Paul praying. And you know, when the Apostle Paul prays in scripture, I always want to pay close attention uh, to what he's saying because you can, you know, glean some some wisdom on some foundational things and some very important things. Because the Apostle Paul didn't pray a lot in his, you know, writings, in his uh, letters, but every time he prayed, it was for something real significant. Amen? And, and beyond that, uh, you can also uh, uh, get a glimpse of what you can pray for yourself and for your family. And this is the Apostle Paul praying for the church at Ephesus. And here's what he said. He said, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and in earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. How? Through faith. See, a lot of people would have preferred that this verse just says, uh, Christ dwell in your heart's full stop. But here it says, Christ dwell in your heart by or through faith. In other words, you can let Christ dwell in your hearts through faith and not through feeling. Because sometimes you won't feel like Christ is dwelling richly in your heart. But guess what? If it's an established word position... Uh, uh, in Christ's position, you won't let circumstances make you feel like Christ has departed from you. Amen? I said amen. He says, so Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. It's interesting that dwell in your hearts. And your heart is a combination of, you know, your spirit, which became brand new in Christ, and your soulish realm, where your mind your will, and your emotions are. So he's saying Christ can dwell in your will, your decision-making realm. Christ can dwell richly in your emotions. Man, this will cure all bad emotions. It will cure all negative emotions. When you do what? When you let Christ dwell in your heart, watch this, richly by faith. Someone shout, Christ dwells in my heart. And he dwells in me bodily. What that means is God left heaven and came to dwell in your tent, in your body, in your heart. 
Now, what could discourage you if you had God living on the inside of you? In fact, John wrote and he said, man, now that I have this revelation, he that is in me is, watch this, greater than he that is in the world. But this has to dwell, watch this, richly in your hearts by faith and not by feeling. Sometimes you're not going to feel like it. What do you do? You stop believing it? No. You stand in it by faith. Amen? So he's praying and he says, I pray that you may let Christ dwell in your hearts richly by faith. Being rooted and watch this, grounded in what? This is how you let Christ dwell in your heart richly. You become rooted and grounded in love. And he's not talking about rooted and grounded in loving your neighbor. That's a great thing. But he's talking about being rooted and grounded in knowing that God loves you. Man, I had to, I had to battle through uh, long, long uh, revelations and just understanding to get to a place where I finally received it. And I say, you know what? God is pleased with me. Amen. And made it a personal conviction. Not just a bumper sticker thing, you know, that you put on your car, on your fridge, Jesus loves me. No, I'm talking about a personal conviction that says, God loves me. It even gets crazier than that. A personal conviction that says, if I was the only person on the earth, Jesus would have still come to die for me now. Some of you think I'm arrogant. No, it's letting Christ dwell in your hearts richly. Not a group thing. See, some of you, you think Christ would certainly come and die for your neighbor. You don't have a problem with that. You would certainly believe that Christ can come and die for the bishop. You don't have a problem with that. But when we tell you Jesus would have come and die for you, it's just say, no, Pastor D, you don't know what I've done. No, we just told you that this is agape. Fully expressed in the story of the prodigal son. You remember the story? I mean, that dude was wilding. He went and asked his dad for an inheritance before time. Essentially, he's saying to his father, you're not dying quick enough. And then he got the inheritance and he went to a far country and watch this, joined himself now to a Jewish mind. If you read uh, historic alternatives, they tell you the people who were listening were saying to Jesus, Hurry up and get to the part where this kid gets stoned. They're saying, hey, we already know where you're taking this story. Because this kid is wilding. We already know where you're taking it. This dude must die. So we are waiting for that part. And Jesus kept going further and further in how messed up this dude was. He said not only did he join himself to the citizens of this land, he wasted his substance. What that means is he just didn't waste his money. He wasted his character. He wasted the very fabric of who he was as a human being, joining himself with these foreigners. And by this time, you read the history alternatives, it tells you people are having physical manifestations listening to this story. They're shouting abomination. The legalistic Jews. You know why? Because they believe God's love is conditional. Jesus is trying to show them God's love is unconditional. Amen. 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 And so he's telling the story. He said this dude, after he had lost everything, he went and he got a job 
Man, I've looked after animals. You know, every school holidays would go to the rural areas to look after animals. And, uh, man, if, if they select you on the day to be the one looking after pigs, you're going to have a tough time. Because, man, pigs are going to be pigs. Now, Jesus could have said, this guy got a job to look after sheep. To make it easy on the legalistic Jews. He could have said, this guy got a job to look after cows. To make it easy on them. No, Jesus said, this guy got a job to look after pigs, the worst of the worst. And not only that, he felt like eating the same things the pigs were eating. And then the Bible says he sat down and began to reflect on the revelation of God's love. He began to remind himself. And you know what he said? He said, even the servants in my father's house get to enjoy unconditional love. Even the servants, not the sons. You and I are sons. We have a better position and we have a better privilege. He said, even the servants get to live better than this. And he started coming up with a business deal in his mind. He said, what am I going to do? I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to say, Daddy, I wronged you. I messed up. Please let me in as one of your hired servants. I don't have a problem coming back because I know your servants. You take care of your servants. And God, I know we call it the story of the prodigal son. If I were to give it a new title, I'd call it the story of a good, good father because that's what it's about. It's never been about the prodigal son. It's always been about the father because as you get to the end of the story, the Bible says as the man was trekking back, going back to the good, good father, thinking about this business, brilliant business deal that he was thinking of, the father saw him afar off and here's where it messes you up if you're legalistic. He says the father began to run towards him. Can you imagine? This father represents God, and God is the one who came up with the salvation plan. God is the one who reached out to us. That's the grace of God. He ran to his son and hugged him. So undignified, reckless love, what we were singing today. Hugged him and kissed him. By this time, this dude probably smells like pig. Hugged him, kissed him. That's what it says in English. If you read in the original Greek, it says he hugged him and repeatedly kissed him everywhere. He's kissing him on the feet. He's kissing him in the head. He's kissing him. This dude smells like pig. He doesn't wait for him to take a shower. You know why? Because his love for him is not based on conditions. See, some of you are waiting to be perfect for God to love on you. And God is saying, I'm loving on you right now where you are. And the sooner you catch that revelation and put it in your heart, your faith begins to work. You can start believing God for everything. Love is what you need in the tank. The God kind of love. Amen? Now watch what he says in verse 18. He says, so that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, the height. So uh, the love of God is multidimensional. Verse 19, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness uh, in him. There are two uh, Greek words here for the word knowledge, an interesting uh, thing here. He's saying, so that you may be able to know, so that you may be able to experience. That Greek word is ginosko. So he's saying, because I mean, if you look at it in English, it looks like, how can I know something that is beyond knowledge, right? 
It's like, what are you talking about? So that you may be able to know something that is beyond knowledge, which surpasses knowledge. What are you talking about? The first word knowledge here is gnosko. So he's saying so that you may experience the love of Christ, which surpasses scientific head knowledge. In the Greek, that word is gnosis. So the first Greek word there is is gnosko, uh, 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 to know the love of Christ, to have an intimate relationship with that word gnosko. Man, that word gnosko is a big word. And we had a funny story. I know my wife is laughing at that. It was in San Diego, and we're having evangelism and stuff. And this guy, Tom, uh, Tom, you know, Tom and his wife, Lori, uh, he decided he was going to evangelize to some of his friends. You know, and he had just come from the service that this was taught, so he went to the barbecue. And Tom is an older guy, you know, retired and so on and so forth, and he lives on the beach, so he, you know, with his friends, and they like to show off knowledge, and he's sitting there, and he said to his friends, hey, I need you to come to church tomorrow. And they said, no, man, we can't come to church tomorrow because, you know, we're already going to, you know, our old traditional church. He said, but do they teach you Gnosko at your church? And the guys were like, what is Gnosko? And he said, then you need to come to church. Because <laughs> my pastor teaches Gnosko. <laughs> so I was laughing. It's like Gnosko, man. We called him Tom Gnosko <laughs> from that day onwards. And guess what? They came and they stayed in the church because of Gnosko. But what are we saying? We're saying God wants you to experience this love. He just doesn't want you to have a mere head knowledge of his love. He wants you to experience it. Amen? But it starts with knowledge. It starts with being open in your heart that God loves me. As messed up as I am, God loves me. And as you receive it in your heart, it begins to alter. Remember what he says in 1 John chapter number 4. He says we only love because he first loved us. The only thing you can do is what God has first done in your heart. We give because he first gave to us. We walk in forgiveness because he first forgave. God will never make you the initiator of anything. You do what you do because he first loved you. If you want to love your husband better, if you want to love your wife better, your friends better, receive this unconditional love in your heart. Because guess what? The way you think God treats you is the very way you're going to treat others. If you think God is angry, unforgiving, and bitter, guess what? You're going to be angry, unforgiving, and bitter. Okay, all right, okay, moving right along. <laughs> that didn't go over so well. First John, chapter number four, verse 18. Thank you, Jesus. How much time? Three minutes? Oh, man, we're, gonna, we're not going to finish all these verses. First John, chapter number four, verse 18. Thank you, Jesus. First John, uh, chapter number four, verse 18. <clears throat> I'm going to be the doctor on this one. Amen? We're going to try and uh, uh, get a diagnosis, a prognosis going on, and we're going to, you know, show you the, we're going to prescribe something that's going to help you get the cure. Amen? It says in 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out what? Fear. Why? Because fear has torment, and he that fears is not made perfect in Love. Did you see it? All these uh, things that we are battling with in the world today are, are fear-based. You know, if you're struggling with anxiety, it's fear-based. It is because you have uh, a seed of fear in your heart. If you're struggling with uh, insecurity, 
uh, it's, it's fear-based. You know, uh, people that are insecure, uh, it's because they're fearful that someone is going to leave them. So they become very insecure. You know, they become an insecure spouse. Why? Because they they harboring fear. And how do you cure that? You get a dosage of love, of perfect love. And the only one that can offer you perfect love is God. You know, when people, you know, and I always deal with people. So, you know, I like to study people because I deal with people's problems so much. When people are in a bad relationship and, you know, you tell them the right thing. I'm not talking about a marriage. I'm talking about a relationship in its infancy. And I tell them, you need to get out of this relationship. And they say, you know, pastor, but I can't. And I say, why can't you? You know, they don't tell it to me like this, but usually that's what they're thinking. Where am I going to find someone else like this one? It's fear of provision. You know why? Because they don't realize God is the ultimate provider. So people will stay with someone that abuses them, someone that's because they think if they lose that one, the fool. I mean, you, you have to be a fool to think if you lose a fool, you won't get another fool. Because guess what? It's not like this fool was showing up. Okay. Thank you, Jesus. If that's you, just shout, thank you, Jesus. It says perfect love casts out fear. Desperation. Desperation is a, is a, fruit, is a, is a seed of fear. You know, when you get desperate. Because guess what? Faith, people that are full of faith never get desperate. You know why? Because God fills the void. So they don't get desperate. You know, next week, Pastor Mike is going to be dealing with relationships. He's probably going to touch on this one. But let me just give you some, you know, insight. The singles. When you get desperate, let me, you know, give you a, 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 a prescription. When you get desperate, what you need to do is to start receiving God's perfect love for you. Because all you're saying to yourself is you're fearful that you may not meet the right person in your timing. And you don't realize God is the perfect timing. Amen. Amen. God is the perfect timing. And, and addictions, fear of missing out. You know, people get addicted because they're fearful. And how do you get rid of that fear? You begin to receive God's perfect love. It says, perfect love casts out fear. So your antidote. So love is not just your fuel for your faith. It's also the antidote for fear. Because first of all, you have to deal with fear. Because sometimes in moments of faith, fear will creep up on you. Remember Peter. He walked out of the boat. He was excited. He was a man full of faith. And he's ex- as he's ex- exercising his faith, fear crept up on him. You know how it crept up on him? It changed what he was looking at. It changed what he was focusing on. Now, here's a, a valid question that I'm going to ask Peter when we get to heaven. Peter, why did you look at the storms? And why did you draw a conclusion from what was happening in the storms? The reason you are walking on water is not because the environment is conducive. It could have been a sunny day, Peter. You would not have walked on water in your backyard swimming pool. So it's got nothing to do with the storms. Amen. It's got everything to do with the power of God and the love that Jesus has for you to give you that word come. And as you focus on that love, as you focus on Jesus, on that word, you will begin to exercise your faith and walk in faith. Amen.
But when you focus on the storms of life, it draws your attention away from the perfect love of God. Now you're trying to fill that void from the political party. You're trying to fill that void from another relationship. You're trying to fill that void from another job, from your business, from several things, from addictions and so on and so forth. Why? Because you've moved your focus away from God's love for you. And I'm telling you, when you start receiving God's love in its multi-dimensions and realize that God, He just, you know, I heard it said this way, and, and I, don't, I don't like repeating it the way I heard it said, because it, you know, making it, it make it, it cheapens the love of God. I've heard someone say, you know, God loves you because he is love. No, 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 no. God loves you because he has made you to be something precious in what he did on the cross through his son, Jesus. You see, when we say God loves you because he is love, it feels like God is just putting up with No, no, no. God worked on you. And he made you lovable, precious. See, when you're a New Testament believer, you are not the clay in the potter's hands. Mud in the potter's hands, trying to build you and put you together. When you are a New Covenant believer, the Bible says you are a new creation. It says you are his workmanship. Created, watch this, for good things. God put you together nicely. And now he looks at you through the lens of Jesus and he says, my beloved son, I'm pleased with this one because of what Jesus did on the cross. So God is not just putting up with you. No, he cherishes you. He loves you. And when you receive that as a revelation, man, I'm telling you, God will begin to thrust you into next dimensions of revelation, next dimensions of walking in faith. Why? Because faith works by love. Why don't you stand on your feet? Thank you, Jesus. We're out of time. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for love. We thank you for your unconditional love. Lord, we thank you that you said in your word in Matthew 7, verse 7, Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened for you. For everyone that asks receives and he that seeks find. And to him that knocks, it shall be opened for you. Lord, we thank you this morning for every faith request that is in this house. Lord, we thank you that by the fuel of love, it will come to pass. We speak against depression right now in the name of Jesus. We speak against the spirit of anxiety. We quench the fire of the spirit of anxiety in each and every one of our hearts. We quench the fire of the spirit of depression or desperation or insecurity by your love. For your perfect love will cast out every root fear. Father, we thank you that we depend on your love. Lord, we thank you that it is because you cherish us so much that we are not destroyed, that we, are, that we can walk in this God kind of faith, that we can get results from our faith. Lord, we thank you for it. 
And so, Father, just like the Apostle Paul prayed, I pray over these, your children, that your love may dwell richly in their hearts. Richly in their hearts by faith. Lord, I thank you that they may be able to comprehend together with the saints the love of God which goes beyond what we can mentally ascend. What we can understand. Lord, I thank you that as they experience this love, a miracle will begin to manifest everywhere in their finances, in their bodies, those that need healing, those that need a recreational miracle. Lord, we thank you that it will begin to take place. We thank you that your love, your compassion will begin to compel us, to control us, to direct us. And nothing else but the love of God. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. Well, we love you. God bless you. And remember these words from 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We love you. God bless you. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening. To find out more about how you can become a partner, visit faithhill.tv today.